Guys, welcome back to the Empowered Women's Podcast. I am here with a friend of mine, Nick Harrison. This is episode number 24. So Nick is, I wouldn't even say he's a colleague, but he's a part of the business group that I'm a part of here on the Gold Coast. It's called B&I. And we're basically all in different um, industries and we come together on a Monday and it's all about networking and sharing what we do and looking at how we can help each other. So Nick and I caught up for a coffee a couple of weeks back and given that he is in the family law sector, um, we realised that he'd be a really good person to bring onto the podcast to talk about relationships from a legal sense and all the, I guess, the messiness that that can be involved in that and how his role is all about cleaning it up. But more interestingly, Nick was previously a police officer, but I'm not going to go into what he does. I'm going to let Nick introduce himself. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. No, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I've got to say I love every Monday morning in the group when you stand up and you say how much joy you bring to the group, but you say it with such a dry sense of humour that everyone just pisses themselves laughing anyway. <laughs> that is one of my poisons, a dry sense of humour. I apologise in advance. It's good. It's good. Um, look, I've got, like I said, I've got a big um, bio in front of me, but I want you to sort of brief us on who you are, what you do, what you've done, and how it kind of works well in the family law sector. All right. So I started out life, my first real job, my first full-time job was as a police officer on the Gold Coast here. Um, So that was around 1991. I started after graduating from high school. Yeah. Um, Worked around the Gold Coast for a little while and then sort of travelled in other areas of the state, applying my trade there. And in around 2003, I left the police to pursue some business interests. And, um, of course, those business interests led me to shift work and nights and weekends like I was doing anyway. And then I became a father. And apparently I needed to be a little bit more responsible (laughs) So um, we looked at all sorts of different jobs for me to do during the day that might accommodate a a more family lifestyle. And and I ended up deciding to go back to law and studied law and graduated from Bond in 2011. Mm -hmm. And I've been practising almost exclusively in family law since that period. So I suppose it's been just a little over 10 years now. Transitioning from the police to the legal side of things gives me Um, a really good base to be able to communicate with all different types of clients who come my way. You know, I can just as easily have a conversation with somebody who's a very high net worth individual and has a complex property structure as I can with somebody who has no understanding of their financial circumstances. So, Mm. you know, the, the ability to communicate is a really key point if you're going to be an effective police officer. And of course, a a lawyer as well. So that's one of the main areas that's been able to transition for me. Yeah. So given your experience, do you deal a lot with um, criminal and traffic matters? It's not something that I actively market, but because of my experience, yes, it's something that we still do. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who are in my um, network of friends who know my history and so will ring me and ask for help and we're able to give that to them. But 
I do primarily focus on relationships and, and family law. So mm. um, it's better in this game to know a lot about a little than a little about a lot. I so agree. the more you know about a more a narrowed focus, the better you can practice your craft. Totally, totally. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of what you do. So I guess the couples that you specifically get handed in the law firm, what do most of them want to separate over? Well, I mean, typically it's guys um, being caught out cheating. Uh, mm. and, and the unfortunate part about that for uh, the women who I see is that that doesn't really matter when it comes to dividing property and, um, and figuring out who should best spend time with the children. We operate on a system that is affectionately referred to as a no-fault divorce system here in Australia. And, and it's very deliberately done that. And there are only very rare circumstances where fault might come into it because enough time and money is spent in trying to figure out how best to care for children and mm. how best to divide property. If you then have to spend time and money on figuring out whose fault it was that the relationship broke down, then there'll be nothing left to divide between the people. So the courts actively try and avoid the blame game. So they kind of say it doesn't matter how it ended. Yes. The fact is it's ended. Just matters that it has. Yeah, okay. Um, like I said, there are very rare circumstances where it does matter mm. how it's ended and domestic violence comes into that. And, of course, um, you know, with me being on the one side of the fence, prosecuting people for domestic violence in my former life and now on a different side of the fence um, applying the law, then... Obviously, that gives me a bit of a unique insight and some experience about that as well. Um, yeah. So what percentage of your cases would re actually result from DV? And how much of them are just as much the man being the victim as the woman? Because I've seen just as much. Like I've seen friends go through this process and it's been the guy that's being abused by the woman. Yeah. So, um, you know, I couldn't give you statistics, but I do regularly see and deal with males who've mm. been subjected to domestic violence by their female partners. Um, there are, of course, males who are subjected to domestic violence by male partners and, as well, and, mm. and probably the same for females. Um, it's not something that, in my experience anyway, that males actively prosecute. They're more willing to put the past behind them and move on. Yeah. And there might be an element of um, sheepishness or embarrassment about the incidents as well. Mm. So they tend not to want to explore those avenues. But yep. the underlying principle of this domestic violence legislation is that the purpose of it is that it's supposed to be used as a shield. So it's to protect you from either domestic violence that you're suffering now or domestic violence that you're going to suffer in the future. Mm. And too often, in my experience, people use it as a sword mm. instead of a shield. Mm. They use it to perhaps be vengeful or malicious. 
Miranda Clare is the creator of The Soulmate Coach, helping singles meet their soulmate and couples find their spark. Mentoring, matchmaking, manifestation and more. Are you curious? Maybe even a little keen? Well, you can chat directly with Miranda by texting LOVE to 0451 78 to book in your complimentary 15-minute soulmate strategy session to get a deep dive into how to transform your love life today. Now, that's not to say that there's not genuine cases. Of course, there are. There's plenty of that. Yeah. Um, but if you need protection, then you should get protection. If you don't, then you should focus on trying to resolve the dispute that exists between you and your ex-partner. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to go into a bit of that that process, the mediation process and counselling and stuff. Um, yeah. We'll go into that in just a bit. But I want to know, like, if there's a situation where they're married but there's no kids involved, the divide between property and assets, is it equal or does it still go more to the woman than the man? Not always. It's It depends on the circumstances of the relationship, really. Mm. Longer relationships are more straightforward and mm-hmm. short relationships as well. So if you fall into that category of the zero to five-year relationship, then effectively the assets just get divided in the manner in which you contributed to the property pool. So. Yeah. If you both put in an equal amount, then you'll both get an equal amount. If one yeah. person puts in 80%, then they get 80%. Mm. And longer relationships, we'll say 20 years plus, the starting premise is almost always 50-50. Mm. You need to ask and you need to explain why it shouldn't be. There might be a good reason why it shouldn't be 50-50. One of the people involved in the relationship might be earning hundreds of thousands of dollars and the other person might earn nothing. So then so what that, happens in that case? Whoever's financially disadvantaged mm. gets a greater adjustment of the property pool that you have. So right. if we can avoid using calculators, we go on the premise that we've got a property pool of a million dollars roughly. Mm. If somebody is earning a few hundred thousand dollars a year and the other person's earning nothing, then effectively what will happen is that the person who's earning nothing will be given more of the assets that they have together to adjust and to make up for them not having the ability to recover financially as quickly as the other person can. So, Yeah. Have you ever had to defend someone that you didn't agree with? Yes. You, just, you could tell like they're just milking the system, The maybe the, the partner on the other end didn't de- deserve or doesn't deserve and you can see that they're being quite malicious? Yes. Is that a regular occurrence for you? Not regularly. But, I mean, I'm sure it's similar to, I think, when people go to a doctor's surgery and they want to get advice about a particular ailment and the doctor tells them to do something and then they don't do it. Mm. So where you might give advice to people and you might say to them, this is the best way forward, they might ignore you and they might say, well, I don't want to go down that path. I want to go down a different path. Mm. And the different path might be a path of destruction. It might be a, a path of vengeance instead of resolution. So you always try and guide people yeah. to which path to take, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they always take it. Yeah. So are you able to provide some context around maybe some cases that you've dealt with in the past that have it, just that you've given them some advice, they've gone against it and it's worked against them? Um, and it's gotten really messy and maybe they've come back and wanted to, you know, clean things up or haven't come back, but you've sort of caught wind of how bad things got for them. 
Well, I can give you a classic example of not one case in particular, but many cases end up like this where you sit down with somebody and they ask you about um, the circum... Well, we ask them, I should say, about the circumstances of their relationship, um, who makes what contributions to assets, who's employed, health, all this sort of thing. And you formulate an opinion about what you think they're entitled to and they don't like it. And so they decide to tell you to prosecute a different path. There might even be, there's been plenty of occasions actually where somebody has put forward an offer that I think is a good offer and that I think that my client should accept. Yep. And I tell them that. And I say, look, this is pretty close to what you're going to end up getting. Mm-hmm. Even if every all of the um, the chips fell your way yeah, and they ignore it and they say, no, I want something else. So mm. we end up spending tens of thousands of dollars and a lot of the times at court and at mediation, after a mediation, they end up accepting what they were offered six months ago Only or a year ago. they've got all the fees on top that they've now had Only to pay. Only now they've spent $20,000, $30,000 and they now all of a sudden, I suppose, see that, what they've been offered is something that they should have taken right at the start mm. and what they're chasing is not worth fighting for. Mm. So I'd there are some that... things obviously worth fighting for, but other things mm. not really. I'd imagine that there'd be a lot of oh, so much, obviously hurt and betrayal and everything involved and they're so driven by vengeance and um, feeling like they need to take this person for everything they're worth. Right. And when you can sort of see that it's that sort of toxic behavior um, where they want revenge, so to speak, do you do you look at other avenues? And I mean, do law firms typically have collaborations with, say, psychs, counselors or even relationship coaches where you can refer on to and say this would be a better avenue? than going down the legal path. Like if you can sort of see on the other spectrum where the relationship can potentially be salvaged and you can identify that, right, do you have stuff in place like that? For the latter part of that question, we don't, no. Um, It's always, I suppose, because we're not qualified um, to to give people advice about those sorts of things, it's Mm. always a decision that we encourage the clients to make. First of all, you have to decide whether or not you want to still be in that relationship. If you do, Mm. then you needn't bother seeing us. Mm. Um, And if you do see us, then it's really just to get an understanding of what would happen if you did separate. Yeah. Or, you know, for example, there might be a scenario where one partner has decided that um, they've discovered the infidelity and they want to take some precautions to protect some assets. So you could do that. Um, and they can still continue to try and make the relationship work. Um, but uh, in terms of us having a referral network to counsellors, we only have that when the relationship has broken down. Yeah. So there are there are psychologists, there are um, social workers that all get involved, especially when there are kids. Mm-mm-mm. And, um, you know, there is a large referral network that we have that um, will recommend to clients, well, you should see this person or you should see that person. And it might even be court mandated. Mm. If it's court mandated, then, you know, it's hands off and they need to be joint and independent experts, et cetera. But, Mm. um, you know, what what I typically see in 
the breakdown of relationships is that there is always one party in a relationship that expects the relationship to break down more than the other. Mm-hmm. One person is almost always caught unaware or is caught less prepared. Mm. So one person has been thinking about it for a while and has come to terms with the fact that the relationship is going to end mm. and then tells the other person and the other person hasn't quite come to terms with that yet. Yeah. And they let their emotions play out in the legal process and it can, if you don't manage it properly, it can get away from them a little bit and end up costing them a lot more than it should. Yeah, and this obviously being for the party that's unprepared. Yeah, so, you know, in other words, I haven't had an opportunity to mourn yet. I haven't had an opportunity to go through my emotional grieving Mm. and I do that during this legal process and I compromise an outcome in in this in the same situation so well I, I think yeah the legal the legal process is it's emotionally draining but if you don't have it together it probably ends up being much longer because when you're making decisions based on emotion and not so much logic because when you're faced in front of a judge like I I used to work for the government and I used to have to present cases when I was working for the office of housing and um, I'd do small VCAT which is Q, the equivalent to QCAT here, okay, yeah. here in Queensland, um, about maintenance issues or um, arrears and stuff like that. And it's just such a, it's such a, um, uh, just a straight, what's the word I'm looking for? The environment well, is non-emotive. <laughs> there is, yep. you know, it, it's so fact-driven that, in you know. In that sphere, it, it is. But in family law, it's entirely different. It's very emotive. Mm. you know and and even though when you end up in front of a judge like what you're describing just now Mm. it's all about facts and evidence for sure Mm -hmm. Um, family law and relationship law and relationships are a lot concerned with it's called an equitable division Mm. so there's an element of touch and feel about it Mm -hmm. yes of course the law is very important but it's almost as important and if not more important to clients to start talking about real life outcomes yeah. So yeah. What, what are you legally entitled to versus how is that going to impact on your life and not just the relationship that's broken down, but the relationship you have with all of your family members, friends, etc. cetera. Mm, yeah. Especially in a long relationship where a lot of people have joint friend networks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go with Barry and I'm going to go with Fiona and, well, I can't talk to Fiona because I'm a mate of Barry's and etc. So yeah. yeah. You, you need a lot of the times to have a to have that holistic view of of what to do to resolve the differences between the two of you instead of mm. just to say, well, my legal advice is this, and that's what I'm going to stop. It's just Only not black and white, is it? It's not. No, it's not. No. And do the the judges tend to have a bit more empathy in that space? Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, I mean, most of the judges. Uh, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, etc. themselves. And so they know what it's like to raise children, to be in a relationship. And yeah. even though it's really important when you get to that point, it's about evidence and it's about the law. Mm. Of course, you know, they'll be able to sit there and say, well, hang on a second, you want this child to spend one night with you and then go back to their father and then spend another night with their father. Don't you think that's bouncing the child around a little bit too much? So Mm. that's real life. That's them knowing that this child, if it's a young child, it's not good for them to be bouncing from one place to another so often. And so they might try and sort of manage an outcome like that. 
So when they when it comes to managing um, the division of who looks after the child on what terms, you know, is it 50, 50, is it 80, 20 or what have you? I mean, obviously there's a myriad of situations why that would happen, you know, and who's, who's more of a fit parent or what is the um, desirable outcome in that sense more so than, than not? Every family dynamic is different. Mm. You know, it's mm. what suits you might not suit your next door neighbour, but the fundamental presumption is that it's in a child's best interest to have a relationship with both their parents. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there are reasons why they should not. You know, if one of the parents is mentally unstable or if one of the parents is prone to perpetrating violence, then Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be exposed to that risk. They should be protected from that risk. Yeah. But it shouldn't be if the parents aren't getting along that the parents decide because they don't like the other parent that the child is deprived of a relationship with that parent. Yeah. It should be... It should be all focused on the child and do we need to protect this child? Yes, of course, we always do. And depending on how old they are, Mm -hmm. then you need to be a little more vigilant than if they're 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And if we do need to protect the child, then why? What what systems can we put in place to make sure that these things don't happen that we're worried about? Mm -hmm. And it might be that the best result is you should never see your parent again because that parent is a drunk because that parent is a criminal because that Mm. parent exposes you to drugs and that parent. And if that's the case, then the best way to protect them is to say, well, you're not having a relationship with that parent Mm -hmm. until that parent sorts their stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Do you, do you have much in terms of mediation, like that process where it, it goes to like, before it goes to court, is there always mediation involved first? And then you make a determination of whether it goes to court or it can be resolved before court? Almost always. And in fact, there's some new rules and legislation that was introduced by the court only a couple of months ago to say virtually that we want you to go and sort out as much as you can on your own. And if that means that you need legal representatives, then that's okay. Mm. But go and get your solicitors, go to a mediation, work out what you can. Don't bring the matter to court unless you really have to. Mm. And I would find that I think 80% of the cases that I work on are resolved at mediation. Okay, and cool. Yep. A, medi- a mediated outcome is normally much better than a, a court outcome mm. because the parties are involved mm-hmm. and the parties are able to take ownership of the result. If you go into court, then you put your best case forward and the other side puts their best case forward and you hope that the judge goes your way, but the judge might not. Mm. So then you're stuck with an outcome that somebody else has told you what to do instead of an outcome that you've been involved in. So Mm. normally the ones that you're involved in and take ownership of last longer and work better than outcomes where you're told to do something. Yeah. So mediation, I mean... What does that look like? Is that just a room at the law firm? It depends. You can go to mediation centres. There are a few different centres on the Gold Coast. Yep. Typically, if there's no allegations of violence and if nobody's scared of each mm. other, then typically it might start with everybody sitting in a room. The mediator will do their presentation. Mm-hmm. The mediator will probably list 
either on a whiteboard or speak to you why all of the reasons you shouldn't go to court. Mm, okay. I mean, if you look at it from that point of view, it's not. Are you and your body not having a great relationship? Are you needing to overhaul your fitness and eating habits? Has your confidence fallen to the wayside and has this perhaps impacted your ability to function properly in either your relationships and even society? Then maybe it's time you bit the bullet and made the change you've been putting off in forever. If you're dying to be in the best shape you've felt in a long time, then I'd love to hear from you. You can apply for online or face-to-face personal training where I've developed a personal proven system that empowers my members to take control of their health, nutrition and mindset once and for all. You can visit www.divinephysiques.com.au. The links will be in the show notes below. A real life scenario, the court. I mean, somebody enters a room wearing a cape yeah. and sometimes they're also wearing a wig mm. and they sit, as they enter the room, you've got to bow to them. It's and very daunting. Down, yeah, when they sit down, they sit down on a... Um, a chair that's deliberately elevated probably one and a half metres above everybody else. Mm, mm. That's not your real life getting up in the morning, got to make coffee, got to get breakfast, got to get kids to school. No. That's completely different. Yeah. So that's why the mediated outcomes are much more about real life. And mm, mm, a mediator, I think, will sit there and, and will explain to them, look, this is what, if you want to go to court, this is what you've got to do. You put together this perfect, shiny legal case with all this great evidence. Mm. And when you get in court, the other side's going to try and rip that apart. And, and they're going to put their legal, shiny case together, and we're trying to rip their case apart. Yeah. Just so as we can get the best outcome for us. Or we can all sit around a table now. Mm. There's a joint session to start with. This is why we shouldn't go to court. And then what normally happens is that one party will be pushed off into one room, the other party will be pushed off into another room and there'll be what's called a shuttle. So the mediator will go back and forth between one room and the other room all day. Right. And that's where this scenario that I was talking to you before about can often come into play where one party has already moved on and is ready to divide everything. Mm -hmm. The other party still wants to talk about why they broke up. Yeah. Obviously, in that environment, it doesn't serve any purpose of mm. trying to figure out why they broke up. doesn't matter and at that so, point. No, no. And sometimes the emotions associated with the breakup take over mm. and get in the way of a properly mediated outcome. But really, it's the mediator bouncing back and forth from one room to the other, pushing one side, pushing another side, until you get to a point where you've reached a acceptable compromise. Are they ever in the same room? Where... At the start, possibly, yeah, yeah, if there's no allegations of violence. Yeah. And I haven't been at a mediation yet, but, of course, anything happens. I haven't been at a mediation yet where they've been at the same room in the end and, song, and said thanks very much to each other and moved on. Okay. You normally have to manage the exit. <laughs> okay, really? this party A, yep. party A will go first. We'll give them five minutes to get to the car and get out of here and right. then we'll leave. Yeah, right. Because so, that was going to be my question. Like, if they're in a, if they're in the same room, I'd imagine it would be a heated conversation. Like, have you ever seen that situation where there's been almost swearing across the table? Um, might have started out a little bit okay, and then it just quickly escalated. I haven't been in one where the clients have lost control. I've been in a couple where the solicitors should behave themselves better. 
mm. and carry on with things that they shouldn't. Right. Um, generally, what happens in those sorts of um, environments is that the mediator puts their presentation forward about why you shouldn't go to court. Mm. One side puts their legal position forward, the other side puts their legal position forward, and then you break off into separate rooms. But sometimes one of the solicitors says something which for some reason the other solicitor can't resist but to interrupt and then, you know, you, I've been in those situations where you end up just saying, look, it's probably best if we break off into separate rooms and then mm. and go through that shuttle process and try and resolve it that way. So, yeah, I mean, right. I've never been involved in one where the parties themselves have gone at each other, but I've been involved in a few where solicitors should behave better. Okay. All right. Um, and in what, what instances, like, because, I mean, you see it very, um, uh, the, the Hollywood version of lawyers fighting in court and arguing and it almost seems like a, a, a penis comparing competition yep. at times. Quite theatrical, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very theatrical. Um, mm. is, is it None very of that sim- I was going to say, yeah, is it? Is that? Does None any of that's that real, happen? No. 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 Okay. I, I mean, like... the courtroom's the same. Yeah. That part of it is true. Yeah. There's a bench that the judge sits on. There's a witness box where a witness will give evidence. There's a gallery in the back. There's a bar table where the solicitors present everything. But generally, um, solicitors and barristers don't move from that bar table at all. There's no walking around the courtroom gesticulating and <laughs> getting right up close to a witness and and interrogating them until they confess How very rarely. Could you imagine <laughs> if rarely. that happened? <laughs> well, I suppose it comes back to that, that whole, you know, sort of no-fault principle, doesn't it? You know, you're there obviously to prosecute your best case, but yeah, the courts, there's not supposed to be any real bombshell evidence. Mm. The other side is supposed to know what your legal case is and I'm, I'm supposed to know what their legal case is. Right. And the reason why that's the case is you're not supposed to, su- supposed to surprise anybody. Mm. If you surprise somebody, then you might say to a judge, well, hang on a second, we've been caught by surprise. We need to be given time to properly respond to that. And if they had told us that three months ago, we wouldn't ask for this adjournment. So the court gets pretty cranky if you right. don't close your legal strategy to the other side. Gotcha, gotcha. So then you're the other parties within their rights to adjourn the case until further notice so they can reassess, reevaluate, and then come back. Yes, yeah, especially okay. where... I didn't know that. Interesting. Yep, especially where it's information that's always been in possession of the other side and they just never bothered to talk to you about it. Mm. So yeah, it's not quite as animated and theatrical as what the movies present, but the movie yep. would be boring if it wasn't. No, 100%. Um so, how, like when well, you're in there's court? There's a that I um, heard recently in a mediation that I think is really apt. Mm. And that is, you know, I always would say to clients, we have to have a, if we're talking about results, I ask them to write down the worst case scenario for them before we go into a mediation. Mm. Write it down on a piece of paper and don't show me. What is the bottom line for you? Whether it's with kids or whether it's with property. And keep that until we get to a point in the mediation where we reach that bottom line. Yeah. And one of the mediators used a phrase recently, which I think is um, really good. Uh, she said that you have to be comfortably uncomfortable. 
So in other words, nobody's ever happy with a mediated outcome. Nobody mm. ever goes out of there kicking their heels together with joy. There has to be an element of uncomfortableness. And I used before I heard that phrase, which I use all the time now. Yeah. I used to I used to use a phrase. Well, you have to be able to stomach the result without vomiting it back up. So yeah. In other words, it's not going to be a really nice meal, but it has to stay down. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think the comfortably uncomfortable is a better analogy. And most clients who mediate successful and sustainable outcomes Mm-mm-mm. have that comfortably uncomfortable. You walk out of there not happy, but just knowing that it was the best result that could be negotiated in the circumstances. Well, breakups are just hard in general. Like I, I don't think yeah. there is um, no one actually I think ever wants to truly break up like breakups are tough they're emotional they take a while to get over and you know if that's and I think it's fair to say that I don't see the good ones <laughs> they probably wouldn't bother coming to me well there is I don't think there is a good break like there, there's probably a oh I don't know a respectful way to end something with someone as respectful as what you feel it can be but it's never it's never like oh like thank god it's over like you probably feel that months down the track once you've met someone else and you've seen that there's someone better out there for you. But at the time, like it's all hurtful. It doesn't matter. Obviously in this process, you're just saving them a lot more time, a lot more money, emotion, arguing, and probably losing a lot more than what they could have. Like I had friends. Okay. So next partner of mine, um, their brother had to go to court and what have you. And, um, Ended up being a two-year process and, um, yeah, just the... Two years is about typical. What's that? Two years is about typical. It's a long time yeah. to basically put pause on your life. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Depending it, on what he's involved in, the, your, your friend, um, whether it's property or whether it's children, you can't move on until this is resolved. No, well, he couldn't. Okay. And, you know, he had to cut his hours down with work to pay for... Um, I think to because he had his child in his care at that time. It was um, I won't go into details of the situation, mm. but you know there was um, all sorts of stuff involved, and I just saw the way it it consumed his life. Really did consume his life, yeah. and and it does. Yeah, look, he ended up on top in the end, but it took you know a lot of money and a lot of time in the process of that, and all because his ex at the time didn't want to settle in mediation. Um, yeah. He was offering her a really good um, settlement to end yeah. it, and in the end, she ended up with so much less because of the collateral damage she had created along the way. Um, mm. By the time all that evidence was all finalised and everything like that, she yeah she lost custody of the child, and she ended up with virtually nothing financially. So, but at the start, he was willing to give her pretty much fifty fifty and to things that she wasn't even entitled to and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, it's it's a shame, but some people get distracted by this whole concept of winning and losing, and I try and talk them out of that. There are no winners and losers in these situations. Yeah. It's about trying to negotiate a sustainable outcome. It's not about winning. It's not about losing. And Mm. if you look at it in those terms, it just I think it ends up compromising um, your ability to to resolve an outcome. So, I mean, two years, that's 
well, that's probably in excess of $100,000 of legal fees there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the sense where, like, where, when can a person not have to pay for a lawyer? So there's Normally, legal aid, isn't there? Yes. Yep. Yep. So, no, I suppose there are a couple of options there. Um, there's legal aid, first of all, but legal aid will only act for you in children's cases. Mm, okay. Legal aid, if you go to them and you say, oh, look, I want to divide the house that we own together, then they'll push you away and they'll say, look, we're too busy. We're already full with children's cases. Mm-mm. If you've actually got a house or some assets to divide, then you should go and see a solicitor. Mm. And solicitors a lot of the times will say, well, we'll hold, we'll still give you invoices, but we don't expect payment until the house has been sold. Gotcha. Once all the assets have been sold, then you can sell us. That's an option. And so that's what legal aid do with property cases. Um, with children's cases, they normally only act in, uh, what shall we say, the more serious ones. Yeah. And and where, I mean, there's always an asset test. So if you go to the legal aid centre, they will ask you to fill out some forms to describe your income, your expenses, your, um, you know, your assets and everything like that. And if you fail the asset test, then you can become a legal aid client. So in other yeah, words, yeah, yeah. you have to virtually have nothing and to be only talking about what should best happen with the kids yep. to be in legal aid. So that's one of the options. The other option is what's mm-hmm. called a pro bono. Mm-hmm. So there are some firms who allocate a certain portion of their work to pro bono work mm-hmm. where, where they just won't charge, where yep. the legal fees are, are racked up, but then they just don't send a bill to the client. Yep. Now, yep. I think that would that type of work would mostly be reserved to the bigger firms, mm-hmm. the bigger end of town. But, I mean, there's a lot of smaller law firms around the Gold Coast who will do pro bono work for community organisations like what I do, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm involved in a, a local sporting club and volunteer all of my time to them. That's um, awesome. You don't send any invoices to not-for-profit volunteer sporting organisations and, you just help out where you can. So I think there'd be plenty of law firms that would be involved in that type of activity, but not children's or property cases. So tell us about the the sporting stuff that you do. So I've played, I think there's some common ground between you and I there, isn't there? I, I was born in Victoria. Yes, I've, you were. I've played AFL my whole life. Yep. And I think... Some people might say that I played too long, only stopping maybe sort of around eight years ago. Anyway, um, I've been involved at a particular sporting club, which was right next to the school that I went to at high school um, at Broadbeach there. And, and, you know, I've spent, I formed a lot of really great relationships and some of the best times that I've had in my younger life were associated with that club. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it sort of got to a point where they were having some difficulties getting um, suitable volunteers and and I just really felt like I needed to pay back. Yeah, you know, nice. I, I, felt like, I felt like I'd been paid enough emotionally yep. over the journey and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I should try and pay back financially or legally with whatever skills I could contribute. And, yeah, so, I mean, my kids have played there as well. Um and, and one of, of one of my so you're from Victoria. Whereabouts in Victoria are you from originally? I was born in Paran. Yep. 
And we lived around sort of East Malvern for a while and then we moved up to a small town next to Shepparton called Marupna and then from Marupna we moved to the Gold Coast here. Yeah, right. Okay. And what year did you come up to the Gold Coast? I reckon it was maybe 85, somewhere around there. That's the year I was born. Yeah, excellent. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> a long time ago now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the club that you're involved in, so you volunteer. Um, what exactly do you do there? Well, I've got a, a young, um, he's nine, so he'll be in the under-10s next year. So uh, I do a bit of coaching for the, the juniors, little kids. Nice, And yep. there's also a committee um, that helps manage. There's a licensed premises that operates from the grounds there. Yeah. And there's a committee of people, a group of about sort of 10 of us that um, – manage the operation of that licensed premises and mm, mm, mm. I guess the whole idea is that you set up this business to raise money to pay for all the sporting activities that operate from there so yeah. you know it's not just football it's cricket it's netball um, and I can tell you this I mean you'd be very tempted I think if you were still in Victoria mm. um, women's football is going crazy it's it's so popular and you know we started out with one team a few years ago and yep. you know we've got teams in every age division and and multiple teams at the open level so that's yeah, amazing it's a, it's a really popular sport so how many teams are you at broad beach cats yes yeah so it's like geelong cats in melbourne yeah yeah in victoria and, i should say yeah. in a surprise coincidence the team of the local well the local team that where we lived in marupna and victoria were also the cats so oh, it was yeah. an immediate attraction to me and my brother when we moved up here. Oh, our local team in Victoria were the Cats and we moved up and we go to school and next door, who were playing? The Cats. So it was a pretty easy connection for us to make. So who do you actually follow in the AFL? Geelong? <laughs> Should we talk about that? That might alienate your audience. No. Nah, I'm a Collingwood right. fan. Oh, you're a Collingwood supporter. Yes. And you still have your front teeth. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any hair, though. Oh, what if I would have taken you for a Geelong man. No, well, that'd be my second. Yeah. Like if, for example, Collingwood weren't in the competition and after I mourned their passing for maybe a decade or so, I would probably revert to Geelong because yeah. of the connection I've had growing up with the hoops. But, no, I didn't actually deliberately make a decision to follow Collingwood. It just happened. Was it a family thing? Because I find that, yeah. you know, if your mum or dad yeah. follows them, obviously you are. Yeah. yeah Same dad with me. was a Collingwood supporter. Yeah. Yep. I, I never made a conscious decision. And, you know, I had the scarves, the beanies, you name it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I'm and a I tiger girl. Yeah. I get you it. You had a good run. So yeah. you need to you need to step into the background now and let others have a play. <laughs> I actually haven't followed the the footy since I've been up here, funnily enough, because it was always in the background at home. Um, I just don't watch as much TV like normal TV. I just, with the new smart TVs, it's it's so much more of an effort to put on normal TV because you've got all these apps yeah. and stuff like that. I'm like, I'll just watch Netflix. <laughs> it's just easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. I probably should get into it next year though. Um, now, do you enjoy being a lawyer more than a police officer these days? Well, uh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the simplest answer to that is yes. Mm. Um, it, it's less physically confronting. 
Yep. I haven't had any. I haven't had anybody um, in my legal career yet try and lay hands on me, or spit on me, or or abuse me um, to the point where you know they're making a scene. I'm sure there'd be plenty mm. who probably don't think kindly of me if they're on the other side of one of my matters. But yeah, yeah, uh, it's safer. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the hours are much more complimentary. Say that again. The hours are much more complimentary. Yeah, not as much overtime, I'd imagine. Not as much nights and weekends and, yeah, so it allows me to be involved in the kids' activities that you want to be involved in as a parent. Yeah, yeah. And how many hours a week would you volunteer for the Broad Beach Cats? Oh, it's probably, I mean, it depends on the week. We only have a, we have a meeting every month, but it might only be an hour or two. Mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, look, we're sort of coming into about 50-odd minutes. Um, do you have any advice to couples that are on the brink of divorce? Yes. Work out whatever you can between you before you go to see a solicitor. Mm. Whatever outcome that you can negotiate between the two of you is almost always better than an outcome that somebody else negotiates on your behalf. Obviously, that can change if you go to see a solicitor and you find out that you've accepted much less than what you're entitled to. But, yeah, yeah I mean, that's one of the first questions that a lot of people come in to see me and my first consultation is just to try and get an understanding of what's happening. Mm. And, um, of course, the contributions that everybody makes and then I give advice about what I think somebody's entitled to. And if we say that it's 50-50, then... I would say to that person, go away and see if you can talk to the other party and see if you can arrange a 50-50 outcome. And if you can, then it's a simple matter of just getting a solicitor to draft up the legal documents. Mm, mm. If the solicitors have to talk and negotiate about that 50-50 outcome, then it ends up costing a lot more. So, I mean, that might not be possible. Yeah. For, for all sorts of different reasons. Somebody might not think that, they should get as much as 50. There are a lot of people who come in to see me and say, well, I'm the one that's worked. It's my money. Yep. And so I should keep it all. It doesn't work like that. Mm, mm. The only thing that allows you to go out and work is the fact that your partner stayed at home and looked after the three kids. Otherwise, you would have to be at home and looking after the three kids. So there's always there those no two sides. Of course, yeah. Yep. The yep. fact that you go out and work and you earn a lot of money, well, your, your assistant at home allows mm. you to do that. Mm. whoever that might be so being a mother or a father who doesn't work and who cares for children is just as important as somebody who goes out and works and earns money of course it's just as hard of a job if not harder just trying to manage children and cooking and cleaning and everything else on top um it sounds as though a lot more people need to cut their emotional losses to gain financially because I, i feel like people that People think that the legal system cares about their emotions and you've pretty much confirmed it doesn't really matter at this point how it happened or why it happened. The fact is it happened and we're not here to really give too much of a stuff of your emotions at this point. I know that's cruel to say that, but I think if people kind of came to terms with that, they'd have a far better outcome seeking resolve with each other then, you know, all too often do you see um, 
when people come to you and they go through that whole process, they go through the legal system, you know, did they really win in the end? You know, like did they get what they really wanted in the end, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes they do, yes, um, but not always, and I would say most of the time they don't. And, of course, that's not to say that a solicitor shouldn't have empathy and understanding. They should. Mm-hmm. But, but this system, the legal system, is not properly equipped to be able to deal with your feelings. There are different systems mm-hmm. that are, you mm-hmm. know, and that might be through either psychiatric or psychological help. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I only ever come into people's life for a brief moment. And the briefer, the better, because yeah. it means that there's less conflict and there's an easier outcome. If I'm involved in your life for the two-year period, like what happened to your friend, then most of the time when people are finished with me, they say, thanks very much, Nick, really nice guy, but I don't ever want to see you again. And I completely understand what they mean when they say that because I'm here at a bad time and if I'm here, it means there's conflict and I'm the one that's going to be ringing up saying, oh, well, this affidavit is due or this material is due, we need to do this and we need to reply to that and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you're better off having me out of your life. Yeah, yeah. That's why I always encourage clients to do as much as they can to work it out themselves without Mm. involving us. Only involve us when you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at your law firm, so you work for, who is it? I've got them here in front of me, but you can announce who you work for. Yeah, so I work for a law firm at Rabina called Frigo Adamson Legal Group. Mm-hmm. And, and do they specialise in other areas of law or just family law? Yeah, so there's a couple of us who focus mainly on the relationships and family law. Mm-hmm. Um, there are another couple who do property and commercial. Mm-hmm. So there are um, probably the only thing that we don't get involved in is the, the personal injury law. That's a pretty specialised area. We would... Mm-hmm. And refer you off to somebody who better knows those areas but mm-hmm. yeah it, we cover most things and there are two of us who are, are pretty much dedicated only to the relationship side of things so yeah cool all right so if people are on the brink of divorce or need mediation and they want to come and chat to you um how can they reach out to you do you offer like an initial sort of free consultation at all Yes, we do. Yes. So it's pretty easy to find us on Google and we offer the first consultation with all new clients free up to an hour. And the reason why we offer a free consultation for all clients, new clients, I should say, is because it gives clients an opportunity to get to know who we are, Mm -hmm. to feel us out, to figure out if they like us. You can't have a solicitor who represents you if you don't like them. And if, if they like us, then they might decide, okay, well, I want to pull the trigger. And, of course, then if you pull the trigger, then that's when it starts to cost money. But it shouldn't cost you money to sit down to have a consultation with the solicitor to then walk away and say, oh, I didn't really like what that guy was saying. And then not only that, do you have to pay, you know, $500 for mm. the privilege of sitting down with them? So, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we prefer to use that our consultation, the hour free consultation as an introductory session to get to know each other. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, we can take it to the next step after that. Like any business, you know, businesses have peaks and troughs. Do lawyers ever starve for business? Uh, did you say a lawyer's ever starved for business? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, is well, it constantly busy in a law firm? 
Yeah, I think it is. Uh, building construction right now is going crazy because of the property market. Mm. There is always, and I, I don't really know why, but there is always a bit of a lull in January every year when it comes to family law. Mm. Everyone's on holidays. Now, They're in the happy season. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I we, we joke about it. Is it because of Christmas and, you know, joy and happiness and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, 100%. Or, January for us is really quiet normally. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing that we did find, COVID resulted in a spike of inquiries about relationships and family law. Of course it did. I think think that the relationship that was surviving with both people working eight hours a day and leaving the matrimonial home and either driving to Brisbane or going to their respective workplaces Mm. and then a lot of workplaces are working from home. So now you're not getting that separation. Now I have to be with this person for an additional eight or 10 hours a day. Yep. And a lot of the relationships didn't survive that. This short ad break is proudly sponsored by my friends at Gravity Colon Therapy, located in Brisbane and Southport on the Gold Coast. If you're feeling really backed up, struggling with constipation, which is leading you to not really being able to think clearly, then I suggest it's time you got your pipes cleaned out. They are the only clinic in Queensland which offers the Woods Gravity Method of Colonics, which is the safest, most comfortable and effective method of colonics there is. So to book your first session, visit gravitycolontherapy.com.au to get $25 off your first visit and let the owner, Christy, know that Amanda sent you. Okay, back to the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They were surviving because they had a break. Now they don't get a break or they want to have a break permanently. So you know, the phones and emails and everything like that started increasing drastically when a lot of the companies decided to start working from home post-COVID. I'd imagine a lot of that has kind of settled down now, but yep, has, no yeah. doubt, no doubt sort of the start of this year would have gone gangbusters. Yeah, mostly um, sort of mid to the end of last year, um, but mm. there's still some some hangover this year as well for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Full on. All right, Nick. Well, what I'll do is I'll pop your details below. If people want to reach out to you, we'll have all of Nick's details there so you can reach out and um, doesn't cost you a thing to have a conversation with Nick. Can they come into the office to have a chat or is it done online? Yeah, yeah a lot of the times it's easier to have a conversation because sometimes what people do is yep. they might want to get an understanding of the legal situation before they leave. And so it's safer to come in and sit down and have that conversation than it might be when you're ringing somebody over the phone and the walls yeah. have ears, Amanda. Yeah, yeah. Do you make a good coffee, Nick? <laughs> That's definitely not something that you should ask me for, but I know people who do. I've never do, had a tea or coffee in my life, so I know you, nothing about it. Oh, really? Do you make your, your prospective clients a nice coffee to butter them up a bit? <laughs> I can get somebody else to do it. <laughs> There you go, guys. You, you don't want a coffee from me. I think you'll end up vomiting. No, you can ask his assistant on the front desk. I'm sure <laughs> she can make you one from their amazing coffee machine. Nick, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. And I hope this information has um, helped shed some light and been educational for people that are considering going through this process or have been through this process. And, um, yeah, if you can sort of sort it out, I think the bottom line is to everything and every relationship is the ability to communicate the hard stuff, you know, and if you can face each other honestly, um, the outcome could be a lot nicer and fairer, even though it's not necessarily a happy occasion, um, than having to go through and drag everyone through the courts in the process. But with that, Nick, thanks again. We'll see you guys next time.
Thanks, Amanda. It's been a pleasure.